Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Today, my guest is Devi. Devi is a consciousness catalyst. And I'm just really excited to dive into A, what that is and means, especially to you. And since this podcast is about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or what we call the so-called disorder, ADHD, today we're going to talk about attention, because that's the A word, the first word in that label. Uh, So I'm just really excited to deep dive with you. Welcome. Hello. Now, shall we start with, uh, first of all, what is a consciousness catalyst? What do you do or be? Yeah, so it comes out of my being, which is a choice I made when I turned 18, which is to be totally devoted to being conscious in my being in every moment. So that's my number one self-imperative. Now, when we say conscious, right, some people might say, well, I'm breathing, my blood's flowing, I'm conscious, what's up? Are you conscious of your blood flowing and your breathing? Oh, you mean that kind of conscious. Aware. 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 Got it. Paying attention to. Paying attention to. So being aware of self and within self, the multiple things that are happening yeah the consciousness is where we can focus our awareness so it's like a light it's like a flashlight that we have ability to focus so we can focus that within our own being And then I feel that there's also a realization of consciousness, which is what we could call an enlightenment. So is the moment that you realize that, uh, I should say this way, is the moment that I realize that I'm a being that I can be aware of from the sort of, let's say, outside, that I can then have it, this is the enlightenment moment, then I can have the flashlight directed and shine it on things that I want to shine on moment by moment, because I'm aware of that, that I'm present, that I'm living and, you know, in, in the moment, in a situation. And now I can direct my quote unquote attention or the flashlight. Is that kind of how it works? Can you ask that again? So just want to make a distinction, uh, enlightenment and then the, right, the focus, the flashlight you mentioned, the metaphor. So, If I wake up, I don't know, some people have near-death experiences, right? Some people have ceremony with plant medicine or something happens in their lives where they're suddenly aware of being more than just a skin bag in this reality and a human being going through the motions, right? So self-awareness, would that be a moment of enlightenment? And then once there's the enlightenment, then there's the flashlight that I can start pointing at areas in life? What I see 
as an enlightenment is some sort of opening into greater awareness and greater consciousness. That was my experience and then other people's a other people's experience I've heard about is something like that. And the realization of consciousness, it's something it's first of all it's not words. So it's some kind of direct first-hand experience and seeing of the nature of consciousness. So it's really more of an, an experience rather than a description or a mental awareness. It's more of an experience, full body, full mind, full everything called me experiences it. Yeah. Cool. Well, now that we got that established. <laughs> well, then there's the catalyst part. So to answer exactly. your question about the consciousness catalyst, it comes out of my total devotion to being conscious in my own being. So I've been at that now by, do I have to give away my age? <laughs> a, <Nope>. a long time, <laughs> well over 20 years. And so there's a lot of things one learns through direct experience. So that means that if someone says, okay, I want to be more aware, then I can help with that. I can support that. And the catalyst part is maybe there's a spark that can just happen. Got it which is we all influence each other. So we do that unconsciously. It's not even an intention. If we go out in public, even with our masks on, <laughs> there is an influence happening biologically. Now, you are what we would call Ivy League educated. Right. I went to Harvard. You went to Harvard. And I think the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I wanted to see, before we dive into attention, how did you transition from uh, this Ivy League education, Harvard educated kind of life to then suddenly get dedicated to, um, you know, being or just being conscious. And I'm not here to say, and, you know, anyone that goes to Harvard can't possibly do that. It's, it's sort of, that's not what I'm saying, but I would imagine that Harvard is a bit more left brain uh, driven and being conscious and being open and creative and sort of, to me is more of a right brain activity. And of course we need the balance of both. Right. But how did you go from Ivy league education to the sort of spiritual path of, you know, becoming a consciousness catalyst? Well, when I went there, I had already had that awakening experience. So I'd already had that step of devoting my entire existence to consciousness, to the lived experience of consciousness. So I went there, I studied music, and afterward... 
I was not super successful with a musical career. I think partly because I wasn't super motivated. Like I didn't have some deep conviction of I want to be externally successful with music. I mean, people like it, but that's different than a career. And so the actual offering of consciousness explicitly as a service that that was years later of just asking what really feels true for me mm-hmm. to offer to people yeah you know i'm still a musician but i feel that there's something potent in what we really feel a hundred percent about so like when I was performing and making CDs and stuff like that, I wasn't 100% about, I want this to become some sort of successful career. Yeah. But with consciousness, with offering that, it's, to me, it's 100%. It's like, that's what my being is. That is like... There's no question about it. There's great. never been a question about it. That's great. And you're right on track because I would say starting next year, we're going to need a lot of uh, people working magic like mental health and uh, consciousness and redirection and reinvention, you know, with everything that's going on in the world. So I think you've trained for the right moment. Um, I feel the same way with podcasts and media that makes a difference. You know, now is the time to... Um, it's a cliche to say, wake up. But, um, since we're talking about attention, really it's time to pay attention to what's happening. Yeah. Well, that brings up the point of pay attention to what, (laughs) and maybe we can even, you know, maybe we can back up a little bit and and talk about what does that mean? Like how, how come, I don't even know where the term came from pay attention, but it's interesting. I mean, it just brings up some sort of authority figure. Like saying, I mean, I don't have experience with ADHD and I've studied the paradigm of mental health, but that's just one subset within this larger paradigm. But it brings up this image of some authority telling someone else, pay attention, right? (laughs) you know, like what are you doing daydreaming or looking out the window or give me uh, your, not, but not give me pay attention. Yeah, exactly. You know, demanding someone's attention. It's interesting because let's say, uh, if attention was a currency, like let's, let's picture attention as a paper currency, right? And somebody says, pay attention. What they're saying is pay me your attention. It's interesting because money is ours, right? When you have money and somebody asks you to give it to you, you really have to think about like, do, do I want to give my hard earned money to that person? What am I getting in return? And I think with teachers telling students, right, in class, you pay your attention. It's almost like what if the student was like, wait, my attention is very uh, precious to me. And whatever you giving me in return, you're giving me boring lectures. I don't think so. But the squirrel out on the, on the tree that I'm watching right now is giving me entertainment. That's funny and cute. And, you know, so, and I'm jumping ahead, but 
So perhaps we can explore what I wanted to explore with you since consciousness, being aware, being present in the moment is directly related to being able to pay attention to something uh, that matters to us. And you so beautifully said that for you, music was fun and it was creative and you liked it. But most of your attention is now going into the consciousness catalyst work. And so why would someone... Um, I should say it differently. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, attention deficit by itself, I think is a totally mislabeled. Right. Be right. Because it's deficit where or in relation to what? To what? Exactly. And when and for how long? Yes. Right. Because my, my yeah. son, Kai, can hyper focus on something he loves. Yeah. And I hear these experts always say, well, these kids just can't pay attention to what they need to. The question is, what if, what if we, what if we accept it as a need, right? Learning about Napoleon, right? Yeah. Or the capitals of the world. Learning about uh, white male dominant culture. But, <laughs> you know. Not to knock white males. I'm just naming an aspect of the power structure. No, I, I get what you're saying. And the interesting thing is that no matter where you stand on this issue, this can all be Googled or read in books, right? Whether they're the right books or the right truths that's debatable, but to know the capitals of the world is not a skill or that's not a, to me, a celebrated skill. Right. If a child can, uh, memorize it and spit it back out to me that, but that's still celebrated right. in school. Yeah. And then, day. I mean, in terms of where I orient and what I offer people, there's this neglected realm of the inside and you also named a neglected realm with the squirrel of nature. Like both of those being neglected, I feel is completely connected to their decay. Yeah. Like, oh, don't pay attention to nature. Yeah, there's a great book out there and I think it's sublabeled um, Nature Deficit Syndrome. You know, and I think that's looking at the other side of this deficit um, or just simply asking what's missing here. Why aren't they paying, paying attention? <laughs> Is the teacher interesting? Is how we teach interesting? Is how we teach how they learn, right? Is what they're learning important to them? All these things simply cannot be asked or asked or implemented in the current public school system because there's no time and money. We've sort of made that just like a... Uh, what do you call it? Like a, like a slaughterhouse, just put them in there, feed them information, <laughs> you know, maybe that's the wrong term, but I'm not factory, sure it factory. is. I'm not sure it is a wrong term. I mean, it's intellectual I slaughter. There, I think there is something that gets killed. Yes. Uniqueness, right. Um, um creative impulse, creative impulses, self-direction. Yep. Uh, perhaps even failing and learning from that, right failing at something and not being made wrong for it. Oh, you had a, an F in this and you don't like it. And oh, you're a bad student. You may give you a red angry face. My son used to get those like, how was his school day today? Here's a card. And it'd be like a red angry face or an orange steaming face. You know, mm -hmm. that's how he was today. Yeah. I mean, looking at education, I dream of education that actually prepares people for being in the world. And that's something yeah. I tell people in relation to Harvard. I don't regret going to Harvard, but it 
prepared me in almost no way for being in the world, perhaps with the exception of having the name. Yes. Because the name is credibility. And that's a very good point. I believe that most of what we're still feeding into in, on the Ivy League track is that credibility in the name to open doors. Yeah. I mean, which, you know, it says I'm intelligent, this institution thought I was good, you know, <laughs> like, which is fine. You know, I think I'm intelligent and good, but, but like what I see of reality, I imagine an education that educates about emotions, about food, about nature, about yeah. the environment, about relationships, about communication, about death. Yeah. <laughs> sex ed. Oh, whoops. Yes. Yeah, Oopsie. Oops. Relationships. Oops. We were created out of sex. <laughs> I had no sex ed, actually. You know, and, and I mean, that's part of the story I tell is that I had allegedly the best education in the world. Yeah. And? <laughs> well, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. And I don't regret it. And it did not prepare me for being alive and being in the world. But see, that's an important point because um, in our documentary, we're exploring this uh, Ivy League track. I call it the carrot, the wrong carrot on, the, on our stick. And it's the Ivy League track that sort of, you know, trickles down, meaning that there's parents today, right now, this moment, that are already thinking that their child hasn't been born yet. And they're thinking what preschool they need to get into that will feed into the great, eventually, high school that leads to Harvard, right? And that's happening right now, still. And so that's one. The other one, though, is what is that system promising those parents? And it's somewhere in the neighborhood of financial success. Uh, so when they die, they know their kids are going to be taken care of. It's a valid fear, their parents, right? But it's that idea that money and reputation and this, this Harvard title will be all they need to live a fulfilled life. And I think that's only 30%, maybe. I don't know. I'm guessing, guesstimating here. I mean, it's something, but there's miserable millionaires. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's millionaires who commit suicide. There's, you know, successful CEOs that went to Harvard or MIT or you name it, and they can't keep up a relationship and they mm -hmm. are struggling with sexual addiction or drugs, you know, so clearly there's some things we're not teaching our children and including awareness and, and focus and, you know, the inner, the inner work. Yeah. Now, how do we get that to the school system? Um, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> Good. I mean, I don't, I don't work in the school system. I mean, yeah. the only answer I can have is just the more, the better. I mean, I do think there is a collective psyche and there's that principle of the hundredth monkey. So I think there can be a critical mass. Yeah. I think that can happen. Less than 51%. I forget what it's called, but there's the theory of you just need, uh, I don't know what it is. Forget the name right now. I'm blanking on it. But we don't need to wait till it's 51% to flip the whole narrative. Yes. It's, we can flip it now, right? Moment to moment. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm not against at all. I'm not against structural things, you know, like, I mean, 
for example, I can teach meditation to children in schools if it's a school that wants that. So that's a specific way. And I'm, of course, well, not of course, but I am not the only person who can do that, which is good. And that's a specific way to say, okay, here, there's this thing, non-thing in your being called awareness, which is also attention. I mean, there's these are a bunch of words for similar qualities of the same thing. Awareness, attention, consciousness, even presence. These are all the same. I mean, that's where it gets spiritual and poetic. You know, it, it's it's very real. We could say it's the most real, quote unquote, thing there is, but it's also the light. It's like to feel it, it's like to feel something amazing. So there can be structures that go, and some schools are doing this, of teaching meditation, and because there's a science now that shows, hey, this is actually really helpful. We can actually see it on a scientific, biological level. It can help with anxiety. It can help with sleep. It can help with stress. It can help with physical health, you know, which is great because yep. it takes it out of the realm of religion, and so, yeah, I mean, on a structural level, it could be a course. It could be the course on attention. It could right. be, I mean, it should be a fundamental subject in education because that is a fundamental question is what do we do with our attention? And the default is that we're not given a choice. Yeah. I think at school, you know, um, if you, we would have to respect the, also the learn, learning styles because you could talk about meditation for half an hour and some kids will, will zone out and you can do it by already sitting on the mat and showing things or, you know, postures or breathing or whatever, or visually showing something on a screen that shows this is what it looks like. Your eyes close and you fo or you focus on one spot, on, you know. There's different learning styles, and mm -hmm. even then, I think we would need to respect those, and that's definitely not done today in, in the public school system. Right. To me, that's a big miss, because um, I don't like to focus on something that's boring. Still to this day, I'm 50, but I still, if something is really boring... What's boring to you? I tune out. <laughs> um <laughs> It's well, such a, it just, it, it's like such a subjective thing, or I imagine yeah. it being subjective. I think it's for me is, is when I'm, I'm forced to use the left brain for too long mm -hmm. when someone is talking about something that I'm already starting to visualize it, but they're not yet using visual ways to show me. Um, I like recently talked to a young woman who, um, said that she has supposedly has ADHD and her sister always tells her like, I've already explained it to you 10 times. And she takes that very personal and feels insecure. And I said, well, next time tell her the 10 times that you've explained it to me do obviously not work for me. Could you maybe show me a video or draw something or show me a photo of it? You know, like something visual. And she's like, Oh, I could do that. You're right. Because then I would get it right away. And I was mm -hmm. like, yeah. Right. So, but we don't think in those terms. We don't, we just make ourselves wrong for, oh, I guess right. I'm stupid. Yeah. Well, and that's a larger back stepping back picture is 
what are people, what are children being asked to conform to? Yeah. And yeah. what came up, you know, this, this culture, it is extremely left-brained, textual, linear, which is only one dimension of reality and one dimension of the human mind. And there's all these other dimensions. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's the, the physical and the right brain, which has in many ways been demonized and the physical has been demonized. The emotional has been demonized, you know, so there's all these missing pieces that are, more than valid. I mean, the physical is essential. Yeah. And the right brain is essential. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great book uh, that I recently um, was, uh, you know, told to read and I'm, I'm starting and I'm talking to the author as well, one of the authors, and it's basically saying the future belongs to the right brain, you know, right brain thinkers. And what they're saying is not that, oh, F you left brain thinkers, you're done. It's more like kind of like a little bit like the BLM movement. And I know there's two sides to it. So I'm just going to say right now, it's just a movement of finally rising up and saying enough of the oppression. And in a similar way, the right brain has been sort of the, the black sheep or the, yeah, 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 you, you don't really have a seat at the table. We, we're we're going to hear you out. Yeah. But let's go to our science and our facts, right? And I think we're seeing that in our society right now that we have a lot of people who literally can, will not move until they see some scientific left brain analysis, even though science is supposed to be continuously evolving, but they're like, that's the truth. Now I will believe yeah, you. Yeah, which is, I mean, one of the things, and I'm not anti-science. No, and, and, and I'm not either, just to be, for the yeah, record. Yeah, and it, it always kind of amazes me, this thing that just seems to get categorically overlooked. Like, oh, we did a study of 2,000 people. Therefore, it's true for you. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's, it's just like, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, not all science is like that. Some science will look at big data, which is, but right. even then, even then it's saying you're just a statistic. You're, you know, I don't know, whatever, 75% of these people, yada, yada, yada. Therefore you will likely, it's such a leap yeah. because yeah. you're, you're an individual. You're not a statistic. Yeah. I'm not a statistic. Yeah. There's a great quote. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. What you just mentioned is, is so relevant. It's a little booklet um, that I recently found here in the office looking for. It's called Getting to Know Your Children by Gerard Castillo. And I just flipped it open and there's a statement and it said, labeling children from their conduct or by comparison with other children ignores the concept of individual personality. Yeah. And it's like, literally, I had to read it again. I'm like, ignores the concept of individual personality because there is a concept. We all intuitively know we're unique personalities and different. I mean, look at each other, right? The way your voice is to your hair color and where you're from and where you went to school and all that stuff. If we can't call that individual compared to mine or even my wife's, then hello, you're really ignoring the concept, right? And they're saying once we label them, like you said, if science says, well, your brain's like on the scale here, now you're in this bucket, we're 
conscious, I don't say consciously, but we're contributing to the ignorance of unique personalities. And to me, that's what's corroding, corroding our society, our, our children. It's making them into normal or abnormal. Mm -hmm. That's it. There's no gray. Yeah. And what box, how nor, how narrow is that label of normal? And yeah. I, I think it's extremely narrow. <clears throat> you know, I mean, for example, as we talked about last time about emotional repression, like that's normal. Is that healthy? I don't think it is. Right. I think it's unhealthy. <laughs> it's almost like normal means it's common, but is, is it really good? Well, it's a social norm. It's widespread. I mean, it's it like on social media, there's this person I follow on Instagram and he's a holistic psychiatrist and he just got kicked off of some board because according to the little post I saw from him about it, they think he's too controversial with his Instagram posts because he questions masks and stuff like that. Mm. So he's not normal enough for them. Right. Right. He's not going with the loudest and first presented narrative. Yeah. And he questions. So like this whole premise of paying attention to me, it feels like really fundamental to the social control system. Just like, just like this fundamental thing from childhood of, okay, you have to pay attention to your parents and the teachers and someone could call this some little part of me that's still a child, but I don't feel it that way. You know, it's like, well, why? I mean, obviously it has to happen in some settings. I mean, there's parents protecting their children to not get hurt, but what I imagine is, is that it's part of this fundamental control and what I feel is an enslavement of the human psyche. <laughs> well, it's funny that we drifted over there, but it's really important because it's all connected, right? The attention, the distraction. And I was sharing with you earlier about Social Dilemma, the, the movie on Netflix. There was a, a line in there that just hit me where he said, if, if the product is free, then you're the product. Meaning they're giving you free email, but they're getting you as their product that they can then package and sell to advertising, right? And that's a rabbit hole. We don't need to go down there. But the idea of our attention is so valuable to them, to advertisers, to, like you said, it's almost like social control can only happen if we just give away our attention. It's like, fine, just feed me whatever, and I'll just, that'll be what I focus on. And so we do have power. Our attention is ours, and we, I think, should pay attention to who we give our attention to, right? Yeah. And well, and that's where it does get into the spiritual dimension, if it's called that. And 
because before any of the internet or social media, there was still this issue of, for example, someone sitting down to meditate and what is called the monkey mind was grabbing their attention. So that, that experience was there within people's beings yeah. before the technological right. connectivity. Yeah. It's not that we, space. it's technology isn't to blame. And I have a, one of our researchers on, on the film, Yaakov Ophir, he's in Israel and he teaches about, he's written many articles that the screens aren't actually that bad the way we think they are just being on screens. Of course, you have to balance it with daylight and exercise and, you know, have moderation, but it's really what's behind it. And what is, you know, in this case, social media or video games, what's happening to our brain and how we are allowing that to dictate uh, how we live or who we are becoming, right? Versus really going within, like you said, meditate and really take time to realize who are we, what are we connecting to, what gives us energy, what do, what do we want to pay attention to mm -hmm. rather than what's given to us, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what comes up is actually a personal example, which is we're here in California with the skies blanketed with smoke right now. And I personally feel it in my lungs. And I was just noticing how, oh, okay, I'm probably not going to go out to my nature spot today because it feels d uncomfortable in my lungs, the smoke. Mm. And how the digital realm, it's this kind of I mean, that's where it gets into the matrix idea. You know, it's, it's this kind of um, other realm that we can withdraw into. It is. It's, I see it with my children and uh, I'm being very careful, but also aware that I cannot, like, it's not about putting them in a vacuum and having them never see a screen. That's not, that's not, in my opinion... Um, being realistic and conscious of where they're heading in their future. You know, I think it can be done. I, one of my favorite films is Captain Fantastic. I don't know if we talked about that. Or I haven't seen it. seen it, but I remember you talking oh, about so it. it's so good. Yeah. And, you know, you can take your kids out into nature and no screens and you can live that way. I think that's a choice. Um, but you have to feel it. I think if you're running away from it or if you're running away with resentment from technology, I don't think it's going to be ful a fulfilling life. But if you say, you know what, I really feel called to, I must go live and raise my family there, good on you. I think it's amazing. Yeah. I respect that. Yeah, what comes up is harnessing our own, as you were pointing to, I think, our own power of attention. Yeah. So that when we're engaging with these screens, it's conscious. It's intentional. It's like, okay, I know I'm doing this right now. I mean... Because it is addictive, and I think we're being pushed even more into it. No, I don't think that we are. We're being pushed even more into or it even with just, the world situation. Yep. I see it as almost pulled by the 
um, algorithms and the artificial intelligence and Facebooks and, you know, we're being pulled towards it because it's a great model for them. You yeah. know, yeah. it is, but it's interesting because, um, I was just thinking, you just inspired me to think of it. Like if we were to tell our children, when you go into social media, always know why you're doing it. Know that it's either for business are you communicating with someone? Are you bored? Um, you know, know why you're doing it. Because then to your point of being aware of what you're actually doing, I think it loses its grip. Because I did that the other night and I was going on Instagram. I'm like, wait, that was a totally <laughs> bored mo move. Because I'm watching a movie about social media and I go to Instagram. <laughs> but I knew, I was like, that's stupid. I was, I was bored and you know what, I'm not going to do it right now. And that's it. And I didn't do it, but I was aware of it instead of just have it become second nature. Right. I think we could start there. And I think that's why your work is so important to get people aware to when they're not aware, perhaps. I don't know how yeah. To say and it. then the, the ability to focus within. So in terms of, okay, you know, there's the screen that's outside. There's other things that are outside. The, our parents were outside. Our teachers were outside. Media and, media and billboards and, right, yeah. there's a lot of... So there's all sorts of things outside that we have been taught to give our attention to. And in this culture, it really feels like the realm of inside has been incredibly neglected. And I think it's so important. And I, I also find it incredibly fascinating too, even now after all these years of, of doing that practice of going within, because within is like a, very vast realm. It is a very vast realm. It is yeah. a very vast, unexplored, I mean, to, to a degree explored, but yeah. I think people are waiting or things will move when, like you said earlier, when, uh, science can prove that that inner work actually does something well, they positive. They have, they have, they're starting science, to. Well, science, ha I mean, there's, there's, I've heard plenty of strong scientific reports about that. But I think it's as parents, we're still waiting for the, the headline, the clickbait, because not a lot of parents are meditating with their kids, but we know science says it's very beneficial, very healthy, very, 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 very. And yet it hasn't caught on like mainstream and like mainstream, mainstream. I know it will, but I think it's all, it will, it will. I think meditation will become like prayer for most people. You pray before dinner, you, you meditate before you go to bed or when you get up, it's just going to be, I think for a lot of people, a lot more people than today will be second nature because we're starting to feel it. Our family's starting to feel it. And I'm always, I don't mean this, uh, in a stuck up way, but I always feel ahead with some of those things where I'm like, I know it's needed and I've been avoiding it for a while, but now we got to do it. And then a few years later, I'll hear one of my friends who was always a, you know, a non-believer say, oh, well, I just started meditating. I'm yeah. like, I know, you know, but I don't want to say it that There's way There's a congressman who was doing it like 
congressionally. Right. So then, <laughs> then it goes starts to go more mainstream. I don't know if it was Tim Ryan. I don't know if I'm remembering the name correctly, but yeah. he's. I think yeah. he's still a congressman. Well, I think even if just schools, like in the morning, you get there and you're gonna do ten minutes of meditation, like, and then then we start. Like, so you kind of. Uh, I think at Waldorf schools they used to kids would come in and it'd give them like a half hour just to decompress and let go of everything. And then what a great day. Yeah. Whereas if they jammed them right into the classroom and let's go open your books, let's go. Ah. Yeah. So it makes sense. The, the inner work to me, at least to me, it makes a lot of sense that we need more of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that as a really crucial piece. So there's this attention, this consciousness, awareness, and... I think it has been intensely hijacked in this culture where it's pointed to, it's, it's supposed to be pointed to authority, some form of authority. Like the screen is a form of authority. And this piece about taking it back, like, Occupy your consciousness, take it back, reclaim it, and then you get to choose. That being said, I do feel that at least some of the time, personally, I do it all the time, but I'm an extreme case. <laughs> at least some of the time, I believe it needs to be focused on the within, yeah. And, and that's a process right now. That's a process because what happens is that if people look within, they might see things that they've been taught should not be there. And then what are they going to do? <laughs> or the opposite, right? They might see some things that they were told that should be there. And you look at it and you're like, why is that there? Like what? Well, like my mom used to always say, um, to us, and I grew up in a small town in Switzerland, and she would always make sure we look good, we're dressed well, and she would always say, well, you know, I don't want other people to think bad of us, right? And you're like, well, that makes sense. Why, why would, you know? But as I grew older, it, that, that morphed into a need to look good. It was no longer a, I don't want to look bad, who does? It was more like, I need, to, I need to make sure my neighbor likes me, I need to make sure this person, everybody needs to like me and needs to think good of me. And that's caused me to become this inauthentic, dependent person that I recently just was like, no, no more. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to start saying how I feel. I'm going to start setting boundaries. I'm going to start saying things on Facebook that <laughs> lots of people will unfriend me or <laughs> unfollow me. And I've since unfollowed many of them, you know, because we don't need to waste each other's time. If you don't like what you see, fine, move on. I'll do the same, you know. Give each other space. I feel like some people are thought warriors. Like they really believe that some ideas are dangerous. I mean, I don't think that I know that because they've said that. Because I've asked them on Facebook and they're like, yes, some ideas are dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and yet even those ideas are part of our reality that someone's thought it up. So why is that wrong? Well, and I also see it as a 
collective confusion that needs to get cleared up and meditation is one of the ways to clear that. So this realm of within, if someone has not fully looked at it, then for example, they might assume that hate causes harm to someone else. But hate is a feeling. Like if you look at it, hatred is a feeling and energy in the mind body. It's not an action. Right. And that's something you can see if you look, but then there's actually practical applications to that. Like there's been meditation taught in jails where yeah. the inmates are taught, for example, that they have more awareness about their anger. And when they have more awareness about their anger, the violence drops, not increases. Yep, yep. I heard, I believe it was... Peter Levine was talking about that in one of our interviews that he went to teach that to inmates and, you know, and, and anger, uh, hate is a learned behavior, like, or doing hateful things and, and learn, not just learned as in like you're watching someone do it and then you do it, but you're constantly exposed to it and you think it's the way to react. You get angry and there must be that person that did it to me and I'm going to be hating that person. And if you're really down the rabbit hole, you will hurt that person, right? It's not like we're not born that way. I don't believe babies are born with a hate gene versus a love gene. Just, I do not buy that. There's a lot of people that act that way. Like, oh, it's a bad apple. What's a bad apple? What I get concerned about is the duality of people who have become really good at repressing because that's what they were taught. Yeah. And they believe it. They believe their mask, but there's still all this other stuff underneath. But it's boiling. It's cooking. Right. And it's going to come out some way, some form. (laughs) Could be depression, right? Doesn't have to be anger. Doesn't have to be uh, violence. It could be righteousness. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I don't think we need a could be for that one. What's the, there's another holistic uh, psychologist that I follow. It's a woman and she wants Kelly. No, it's, um, I'm blanking, uh, Nicole Laporta or Laporte. Um, she said that, um, you know, uh, righteous adults are children whose reality was denied over and over in their childhood. Hmm. And so now they need to like deny other people's I matter. reality. Yeah. By denying their reality, theirs matters, right? So I get it. And that's, to me, that's a a big factor when we look at ADHD children. One thing we've discovered is that a lot of children who are in medications are subdued. And so emotionally, they are dealing with something in life, like a divorce or anger or whatever is there that's causing them to act up. Or is it act out? Act out, right? <laughs> um, the foreigner in me comes out. Either way, I What think. is the word? Uh, you know, causes them to act out. And when they're on medications, they're subdued. So they're, they behave well, 
so they can learn and they can be still and not irritate and stress out the parents, but they're not getting to express it. So it gets stuck in the body even more. And as we know, somatic, right, somatically trauma stays in the body and it's going to want out at some mm -hmm. point. Right. Questions how and when, not if. Let that sink in. <laughs> Yeah, so this, this attention, this question we came in with about attention, I think on a stern level, it's kind of revolutionary, like not revolutionary in, a, in any sort of violent way, but I think that enough people taking back their attention could profoundly shift our collective world. Yeah, I agree. And that's where the, the metaphor of the matrix, that movie as a metaphor, I think it totally holds water. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah in terms yeah. of our attention is collectively co-opted. It's harvested. This, yeah. Basically. Into this metaphorical matrix, which happens to have huge corporate funding. And, we wake up by taking back our attention and that is not always a bed of roses. And that's where the spiritual idea that, Oh, we wake up and it's just an everlasting bliss. I don't think that's helpful. Certainly not my experience. Right. Right. And yeah. the, the Hollywood matrix metaphor there's some validity in that of we wake up and it's like, oh, wait, this is, this is what I'm experiencing if I'm not so hooked in right, right. to the collective corporate dream. <laughs> I think ours will look prettier. I think we'll, we'll end up in these pods, you know, like the Japanese hotel pod the beds, right? The pods. And you'll just have Wi-Fi in there and you'll have your food fed to you and you don't need to move. You just, um, well, isn't that like house arrest? Like we're all just staying in our homes hooked up yeah. to our computers. <laughs> right. Right. And essentially you'll be okay with that because you're getting everything you need. And I you think get we're kind of in know, that. We're in that. Now the question is what virtual world is being created that we are then getting pulled into like video games and virtual reality. Cause then we'll be inside of that and then the pod is enough to live the physical life, but in there it's exciting. And yeah. they, see, then well, you get Facebook's to meet. Facebook's working on the glasses. Yeah. And then you get to meet your the V. Uh, um, My avatar. The avatar, and right. then you like that even better because prettier than me. We are. <laughs> they've given you these tight letter pants with the gun, you know, with the like ten, ten pounds less. <laughs> whatever you want, right? You'll be like, oh damn, that's me. And then then you live that life. And so what, what I'm hearing is, and I agree, is the Matrix wasn't too far off. And there's been other movies like that, right? Where you live, I think it was a Keanu Reeves movie where he got, he also got something implanted in his brain. Forgot the name. But um, so when, so, so waking up out of that, I think the only way to do it, like you said, is reclaiming our attention. The question I have is, or maybe it's a statement. If someone were to somehow... We can talk about this, continuing this statement, R to reclaim their attention. The question is, what else are they going to put that attention on? Right. 
and I think that's what's missing for most people. There's not a purpose or a uh, starting with the inside. I think if you go attention first inside, that purpose will speak to you. And then you put your attention there and now you're not run by that, yeah. right? Yeah, Roughly. that's a very good question. The closest thing I had to a spiritual guide, a friend of mine, he told me a few years ago about, he thinks in the future, far into human future, we won't need the tool of meditation for our consciousness to realize consciousness. But I think we do now. And medit- uh, can, can you say more about that? Like what, what is, um, what does he think? Would it be automated somehow or it would be plugged no, in or something? No, or no, 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 not we'll just be able to go there. not technological, but oh. because the nature of consciousness, it's all encompassing. It's everywhere. Mm. It's everywhere. It's unconditional. That's where the experience of consciousness, of realizing consciousness, that's where it does get into the spiritual realm because that's the experience of it. It's just so vast. Everywhere you look, there it is. So with that nature of consciousness, it doesn't need a focus. Hmm. I want to continue that, but I believe right now in humans state of evolution, we do need a focus. Yeah. So you're saying this is, this is kind of at this level. And then when we move up or forward, uh, we won't no longer need certain things like meditation right now. It's like, a, I don't want to say it's a crutch, but it's a tool to get to something that we already not naturally can actually do. Right. We, if we were born into a world where meditation was the way to always self-center, then you would naturally, you'd be born into this and you'd be taught this and you'd do it automatically. And the next evolution would be you already get here and you're more aware. So you don't need to, something like that. Well, what comes up is that perhaps in the future of human evolution, consciousness is just, it's just more realized in general. So it's less of a, not a chore, but a yeah, yeah, you task. don't have to actively work um, on it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not sure. where we're at. No, no, that's not. So what I see meditation as is the focusing of attention. That being said, there are methods of meditation, which are not the ones that I do. And I usually don't teach these ones, but there are ones where you, you just sit and be in awareness. So right. that's, aiming for that just kind of not specifically focused spatial awareness. Right. If that works for someone, fine. For myself, when I woke up, it was through the breath. So the breath is a great focus for attention. It's essential. That's beautiful right there. It is essential to being alive. Right. That's already beautiful. I mean, that already could be a guiding principle of, oh, is what we're focusing our attention on, is what we're giving our attention to, is it essential? 
on right. some level. I was just going to say, I think our next, or, or I should say it this way, why wouldn't we as a society or humanity do anything in our power to live a life where we focus on the things we want to focus on or feel like it or are inspired to or, you know, like kids. Why not raise kids to say, what do you want to do today? And follow that, right? It's child-led education, which our kids are doing, and foster that. And it doesn't mean if they're going to read books all day that they're not learning or it doesn't mean if they want to play video games for two weeks straight that that's, they're going to mess up their brain. It's just allowing them to say, that's exciting right now. They're going to learn something in that interaction. Like my son learns from video games. He learns a lot of, um, you know, team play. Um, and uh, my wife's just going to let our dog in so he doesn't freak out because she has to go to the store. So Max is going to join our podcast. And he's super friendly. And he's not uh, loud. And he will hang out and lay down. Um, hello, Max. So... What I'm saying is, um, you know, th this idea that if kids are allowed to do what they love doing, maybe we can, uh, um, we can tailor education around that. And then they will love to go to school. They will love to learn. They would mm -hmm. love. But now they're giving their attention to what they want to do. Right. This is Max. Max, meet the V. He's approved. All right. Um, so. I guess my point is the critics on the other side of ADHD always say, well, of course these kids can learn or focus when they want to, but not when they need to. Well, can we shift well, the need? What's need? What is need? Well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's the information that they think or the school system right. thinks they should learn to get to right. Harvard right. so they can yeah. have a happy and life. That's this huge belief system within the structure which can be extremely myopic. Yeah. You know, and that's the part where not giving attention to the environment, not giving attention to our bodies, not giving attention to nature, we're neglecting to the point of pain yep. because of the world situation we're in, these essential facets and the power structure by perhaps its own nature doesn't want to expand. Right. Right. And that's my point. What you said earlier, you reminded me, I wanted to bring this up is that the power structure, or I should just simply call it greedy capitalism. And by greedy, I don't even mean greedy out of like Dr. Evil run the world and blow it up kind of evil, but just we got to make more money. We've got to make more money because everybody wants to make more money. So let's make more money. Let's cut corners, right? That kind of power structure is not going to want to hear the other side of, I know we're destroying some trees, but hey, guys, you know, we can I make a lot of money. I know we're destroying some children, but right. exactly. hey, guys. <laughs> hey, guys, we're selling drugs. It's okay, right? But when you come from the other side and you say, hey, guys, this is what's happening on the other side. Kids are dying or getting hurt. You're called a conspiracy theorist or an anti-vaxxer or, you know, the pandemic, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter where you stand, but I feel like we've lost the ability to look at both sides because one side, like you mentioned, is not flexible and not open to yeah. hear both sides. And that side happens to be the one that has the most power. 
and it's usually destructive, as in there's corrosion being put out there. You know, some good, yes. It's good to have Amazon, right? You can order stuff and it's here in, in, in a day. But what are, the what are the bad consequences or the negative things that are happening behind the scenes that nobody wants us to know? Well, they're out, they're out there. You could research it, right? But, oh, that's a conspiracy. How, how, why is that? Do we just not want to put our attention? Why is what? Why do, we, why do some of us not want to give our attention to the other side? Well, what comes up is that I mean, what, I don't know if it's all of us, but it's got to be such a vast majority that has been subjected to this intense conditioning as children. Yeah. And even if we had well-meaning parents, they were somewhere in this structure. So they needed to teach us to conform at least a little bit, at least to put our clothes on, you know, like well, yeah. at least to be or quiet you... in the restaurant, you know, like at least a little bit, they had to teach us to conform. And so there's these structures in our being that have probably with intense trauma been taught to submit to behave and they're tied in with our survival instinct oh absolutely and so then the really quote unquote good person when they're an adult i think there's some sort of primal structure in their being that needs to defend what they gave up part of their soul for because like it couldn't be wrong. Well you know, said. they they sacrificed a big part of their aliveness, a big part of their their natural being for that structure. It can't be wrong. You know, that yeah. like that dissonance, I imagine that could be devastating. Very well said, because recently we reached out to the top experts on the ADHD side is a doctor named Russell Barkley. And he denied to be interviewed and uh, for, for several reasons. And then I talked to a friend of mine and I said, yeah, we reached out to him and said, and he's, and my friend said, he's never going to be interviewed for your film. Your film's called ADHD is over. He believes it's a real disorder and it's a, you know, brain disorder and it's, it's genetic and it's all the myths that we're going to actually de debunk in our, with our film. And what I got is that here's a man who's for, he's like 70 plus years old, who for 70, no, not 70, but let's say 50 years has built his career on that. And he's not even willing to say, well, let me be in the movie because whatever you're going to propose, I can debunk it, right? Or even just, I want to hear what you're saying. What do you mean it's over? Because essentially, doesn't the psychologist or psychiatrist go into uh, say ADHD psychology to help people. So it being over would actually be your part of your goal, <laughs> your mission. Right. And so what you said is beautiful because that's what I saw in action. He's like, Nope. Yeah. And my friend said, and by the way, you're not going to get the other three, four, uh, top psychologists or psychiatrists on that side either, because they're all in it still. They're all still getting yeah. paid by farm. Yeah. And you know? that's where I don't, personally go to the idea that, and I don't know that exact person, but that sort of person is evil. I don't go to that. Like some people do. I don't, I go to it as like, they've been 
spending their whole life or their whole adulthood or so much of their life energy into this structure, into this belief system, which isn't even recognized as a belief system. Right. And God, what would it be like for that to be cracked open? I mean, I mean, that's where yeah. consciousness opening experiences do that. I personally don't do these days any sort of substances along those lines, but I know they can open people. Yeah, they have. I've seen people yeah. who were what I call realists or very resentful realists set in one way, right? Come back and go, wow, what a jerk I was. I was so closed right. off to the other side. And they're happier now. Yeah, and, and that's not the only thing that can do that. I mean, and that's right, that's right. one idea that I think that's part of why, and not necessarily as a conscious conspiracy, but I think that's part of why mind-altering substances are illegal, is because they can crack open people's minds a bit. And I'm not trying to say that to support them, because there's other ways to crack open people's minds, too. Right. But I think that's, and, and meditation can be one of those ways, but that's where, that's where something can happen. Like some sort of crack in the belief structure yeah. some way. And, and there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways. And I think like you said it right again, beautifully, there's a crack in the belief structure because it's a structure that was essentially built. It wasn't like just there. We've created it. We've yeah. put that structure up or our parents helped us put it up. And now if we don't question it at least or look at it and go, why do I believe that I'm better than other people? Or why do I believe that that movement shouldn't exist? Or why do I, you know, where is it coming from, right? It takes a lot of self-reflection. And I believe we sh that, that should also be taught in school clearly from an early age, right? Like to say, let's look at both sides, you know, let's walk in both people's shoes. Yeah. See where, where do you land? You can still choose one side, but yeah. Right. It's okay. At the end, if you're like, no, I'm still going to vote for Trump and for the other person to go like, I totally see where you're coming from and, and, and be with that. Right. Not like, oh, you're just an idiot. Cause the person who says you're just an idiot, if you're voting for Trump is actually showing or exposing that they're in essence, talking to themselves because they're also not open to, you know, so it always amuses me online when people are like, oh, if you're a Trump supporter, you're just an asshole. Okay. Well, the other thing that comes up, I was listening to a interview with Zach Bush, who oh, I like Zach Bush, yeah. works with soil and soil regeneration. And he had this really what does he, what does he not work with? <laughs> I don't know. He's, uh, he's all over the place, which is great. He had this real interesting point, which is sad and profound about these farmers that have been suckered into using chemical corporate methods that have been harmful for their farm and their yeah. family and the soil yeah. and the earth. And he said that the social pressure is a really significant factor yeah. that if they shift and be like, okay, I'm going to try this other way. They're somehow admitting that their neighbors, the other farmers are doing something wrong. Exactly. And that's really interesting. 
I mean, it's sad, but it's really interesting. And I think it's really important. Is that, I think they call that also virtue signaling or lack of like, you know, when you're sort of like, oh, well, you're, you're the bad guy here because you're the only one not doing it or, you know, it, it's, it's pressure. Yeah. It reminds me of the emperor has no clothes yeah, yeah, story yeah. too. Yeah. You know, like there's these belief structures in social circles and society and there's this idea that it's some sort of threat to the social order to, you know, act contrary to it or to say something contrary to it. Even today, right? If you absolutely, if you go on Facebook <laughs> and you say those particular masks, and I'm using masks as an example because it's such a small item that you could easily say, well, just fucking wear a mask. What's the big deal, right? But if you really look at the research by many doctors that are now called not good enough doctors or conspiracy theorists, they're like, no, these masks actually don't really work that well. And six feet... Uh, who made that up and how come? And yet there's science behind it all. But if you just question it, even if you're like, I don't fucking know, I'm not a scientist. Tell me about it. I, I, I heard these don't work. Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Or you believe in, in this person. Well, then I'm not going to even listen to you. Well, that's, to me, it's just ignorance. And I see this polit politics. I see this now with COVID. I see this even in the ADHD world. I see a lot of parents who get angry when I say in online support groups, I started poking the hornet's nest. Uh, when I say that it's, it's really made up, it's not real. You, you can't cut open a brain and there's the ADHD thing. And, you know, like a tumor, there's not, it's not real. And they're like, how dare you say our struggle, blah, blah, blah. And I say, no, the struggle is real. I right. get it. You're struggling with yeah. symptoms, with behavior that's caused by trauma, by attention, uh, or what do you call it? Uh, anger, resentment, whatever, whatever's there for the child. You're yes, there's a struggle, but the label's not real. Fuck you. Still, right? There's no. Okay, tell me more about this. The struggle's real, but the the label is not real. You know, there's no. Let's go there. Yeah, yeah. And it's ignorance. I don't mean to put that put them down. I'm not putting them down, but there there is an a belief system of ignorance that they've been taught that just reject it because it's not true. Yeah, you know? and I know exactly what you mean, and I do think it's on a general level, it's a belief system being defended. Right. And that's where it gets deep regardless of what the specific thing is because we're in actually a really vast reality and I think our beliefs particularly the beliefs we don't recognize as beliefs that we might call truth or not you know might be completely unquestioned I think it's how we navigate a vast reality yeah I like that I think I've always seen it, you know, when I was growing up in Switzerland, I was, soccer was my thing. And I remember people would always say, what's your favorite team? And I would always think, I don't know. I mean, I just like the teams that play well. I never was like the fanatic, wear the shirt, this is my team. The other teams are all wrong. I, this is my team. I was always like, well, who's going to give me the best soccer that I can watch, right? And people were dumbfounded. They're like, no, you got to pick a team. You're from this town, da 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 
And I feel like it's a similar thing nowadays is defending a belief is like, this is the winning team. And you're like, okay, but can, <laughs> can what can the other team do for you? Nothing. Cause yeah, they're is, evil, right? They're evil. And, and Worse it's all than nothing. They're evil. It's like hypo- they're killers. <laughs> they're killers. Exactly. Baby killers. <laughs> it's like hypocrites versus hypocrites. Who's winning? No one. Yeah. And that brings it back to the thing about attention because I do also feel it's crucial for there to be time and space for people to focus their attention on nonverbal, something nonverbal. Because something that is not just the mind. The left brain loves to operate the machine called the mind, right? It's like... Yeah. I mean, like, like if someone tastes the realm of being that is not up in the head, you know, from that space, like, as it's been said in some ancient texts, like, nothing of the mind is true. It's all labels. Like, it's all descriptions. It's like neither not true nor true. (laughs) But it needs it to function. It works that way. It's not wrong, right or wrong. It's just, it makes labels and like meaning, right? It's always meaning, meaning. Somebody yeah. somebody once said, um, I don't know if it was at Landmark, if that's one of their part of the philosophies, like life doesn't mean anything. And it doesn't mean anything that it doesn't mean anything. It's just lifing. And then we give it meaning. So a plant is just growing, but then we name it. We say it's green. It's a label. Like it's, it takes three months. Time's made up. So it's... It just is. And consciousness is too. But then we make it mean, oh, wait, am I sitting still? I'm sitting still. Am I supposed to sit still? You know, then we start. (laughs) And the monkey's there, right? The damn monkey. So we're like meaning-making machines, essentially. Yeah. With attention, it feels so important to me. And I'm curious as we're sitting here now, having decided to talk about it, if there is anything in particular for you that comes up to ask about or explore more. Cause it just, yeah, yeah it's so. I'd love to rich. talk about, um, you know, there's focus, there's attention, there's concentration, um, there's awareness. I think when it comes to ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, they are really struggling with paying attention what the parents need to pay them or the teacher or so I would say, I mean, we've talked about it already, but let's talk a bit more about um, what, where does paying attention come from? Like, it just baffles me, the name paying I don't like attention. it. <laughs> I think you should be called paying for attention. Um, How do you feel when somebody tells you pay attention? I mean, I'm an adult. I don't think I've heard that in a while. But isn't isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I mean, it comes up. Perhaps a recent example is I'm participating in these online groups and we're supposed to pay attention to the other people in the group. So there was at one point 
I wasn't. So that got called out. Like, yeah, yeah. hey, you're not looking at the speaker. <laughs> you're not paying attention to the person who's talking right now. What's going on? This is via Zoom? Yeah. Yeah. So the, Where, Zoom, the Zoom police was cracking down on the distracted here. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it was a totally fine question in the context, but it's an example of like, oh, there's this implicit thing of where you're supposed to give attention, yeah. you know? So that's, that's what comes up with the, with the pay attention idea is just, you know, where does it come from? I mean. But what was the purpose though? Was the purpose that to pay attention to cause or make the speaker um, fully empowered? So you're not. Well, in that context, first of all, what I imagine, I don't imagine it, I believe it. What I believe is that there's this underlying assumption of like, of, of course you're supposed to pay attention to the person who's talking like, of course. And if someone isn't doing that, then that is worth questioning. So it's a good example. And for children, I imagine they can get punished for that. So yeah. the idea of where does it come from? I mean, I imagine it comes from this social control structure, which maybe we need some social control. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day with seatbelts. Like, <laughs> why should I get punished by a policeman for not wearing a seatbelt, you know? Because like, you're breaking the law. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be protected against my own choices or something. And Yeah, there's some rules like that that I feel like we've went too far and we or the government, well, we are representatives that we don't really care about usually and they will change laws and we're like, what happened? Wait, what? You know, because... I feel like the government has taken on the role of let me watch out for you because you're kind of not that adult or you kind of you could be stupid or you could be, you know, hurting yourself. So we're going to do a law. Right. And, and I get it. But to your point, yeah. Why? Why are some of them still there? Why can't we loosen that up? Because <laughs> some idiot at some somewhere didn't wear a seatbelt, got hurt. Probably make some money. You know? Yeah. But no, that's a good point. Like, um, you know, but, but in this case, you were at a seminar or an online course that you chose to be there for, and you chose to accept the notion that the tools they will give you or the exercises that will have you do, even though they might be weird, will give you some growth. So you're kind of in there, give it to me, right? Whereas kids in public school, it's like, mm, I have to be here. Now you want me to pay attention to what? To the capital of... Yeah. of uh, Bulgaria. Yeah. I mean, I right? think it gets really deep. What comes up is these two principles that I've been thinking of, these two polarities of wildness and control and not calling either of them bad because I think that control has a place both for self-control and like, hey, you know, if you were stepping on my foot, like, hey, please get off my foot. I mean, even if I'm requesting it, that's a kind of control. Yeah. And 
these two opposites that don't have to be opposites, but it's like a spectrum and wildness, it can get idealized, but it's also dangerous. Wildness is beautiful. It's fertile. It has a lot of energy and it's not all peaches and cream. There's danger. There's things we don't want in wildness. And then there's control and the extreme of control right. is not good either. And I guess I feel like in our culture, we're too far on the control side. Yeah, it's well put. It reminds me of that movie, The Beach with DiCaprio, right? When he went to look for the paradise and then that was great for a while and then something happened and then people went crazy and it's like, you're back to chaos. Now you may as well move back to the city, you know, cause you thought you were in paradise. So We've gone a little too far, I agree, on the control side, especially relating this back to ADHD, is that we're, we're punishing kids or labeling them as broken or abnormal in this case uh, because they don't fit into what we've now defined is, is the only place to be as normal or as a functioning student or a child, right? And so how can we open that back up? You know, how can we... I mean, one of the answers is educating parents that, you know, there is no normal, like let your child unfold. I, I read some of these posts on these support groups and there's three-year-olds on like three medications. Oh God. Because one only lasts a certain amount of hours. Yeah, and then there's side Another, effects from the medications and no that sleep they give and, medications for. Yeah. And recently I saw a natural pill to remedy side effects of medications, right? So now we're trying to still keep it in place. It's but so sad. But you know what's actually very interesting? On Netflix, I saw recently a teaser for a show called uh, Unwell, and it's about supposedly exposing that a lot of the alternative medicine things are actually dangerous and people have gotten hurt. I wonder who that's funded by. Thank you. <laughs> that is the first thing I said. And you know how they gave it away? In the first line of the teaser, it said something like, now a, you know, multi-trillion million, billion dollar industry. I'm like, okay, this is another billion dollar industry trying to say, you know, this one's not good. Go back to, come back to us, you know? And one of the funny things was like the way they tried to put down uh, essential oils wasn't necessarily about the essential oils. It was that some women through an essential oil pyramid scheme lost a lot of money. Mm, and you're like, oh, so that's why it's bad. <laughs> you know, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. yeah. What it brings to mind, this is not in contradiction, but again, this wildness and control thing. Like I saw this headline about two boys died from a brain eating amoeba. It's in India. You know, they went to India. They got this brain eating amoeba, you know, this wild natural thing and just these like someone can die from too much clean water like that can happen like you can drink too much water yeah i heard about that my son <laughs> told me yeah that that's possible i yeah. was like really like okay. like the right. the principle of imbalance yeah like and also also these polarities of good and evil you know like something being completely good and another being totally, you know, like maybe there's a little badness in everything. 
Well, there is. <laughs> we all have. Not you, of course. Well, no, of course not. No, not but, me, we, but we but... all do have the polarity, right? It's when we use it, how much do we use? What do we use it for, right? I think it's all given to us for like, you know, self-defense. You can be a, become a jerk and kill someone quickly. If your family was threatened, right? I could go there. But I don't need to use that with my neighbor that I'm suddenly upset about that his fence is on my property, which is, I'm just, that's not an example that's real. But, you know, like that's where people get out of hand and guns come out and knives come out. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. How did you, who taught you to, to dig that deep into the, the dirt bucket, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's, again, goes back to parenting. It goes back to society making that okay in movies and in advertising and parents saying, well, it's part of life, you know? Yeah, and I'm remembering this this pay attention question, and what's coming up is that it might be really tied to control, like before any of the technology, before any of the screen. If people's attention, like people's attention being controlled, is is a profound form of control. Like, look at this and not that. Look at me and not something else. Look at the teacher and not what's going on inside of you. Look at this person and not what's happening outside. Like, that's that, whether or not it's good or bad, I mean, I am painting it in a particular way, but it's already control. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm actually, I'm personally ready to get off of social media once our film releases and once once these, the film and the podcast and everything has legs, I will eventually create a new profile um, that I will literally just use for the project, but I'm, I'm, I would delete it today if I could, especially off of my phone, you know, mm. I may keep it so that I can still work on it and stuff, but... I don't have Facebook on my phone. Instagram is still there because I take photos. And, but even that, I'm thinking, you know what? I can just be done because I can still have it as the account on my computer, but I won't go there not even 10% of the time, not even probably ever, right? Mm-hmm. Facebook, yes, for, for the project. But um, I'm kind of ready. I feel like it's just, even though I don't give it that much attention, I want to see what happens to me in a good way. Once even that's gone. Right. Because I don't even watch TV or news at all. We watch movies on Netflix and Amazon. That's it. And that's once a week maybe. So I'm, what else can I mine and go inside? Yeah. You know, but now, of course, I'm 50. If we're talking about 12-year-old or middle schoolers who are dealing with ADHD and a divorce at home and, you know, that, that becomes an escape and, or a pacifier. But how can we... Going back to my other question of, of if, if we're going to take attention away from that, if we're reclaiming, what did you call it? O- obey, no. Occupy uh, your Occupy your consciousness. Then what are we going to yeah. use it for? Yeah. These words come up, which I like, of attention liberation movement. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. ALM. Yeah, so that's... I like it. That feels like a step two. So a step one, although they can go together, but saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to reclaim my attention and that can be a process like, okay, screens are addictive and, and social order is addictive. Yeah. 
Even if there weren't screens. Sorry to interject, but I just thought of something when you said the ALM, the Attention Liberation Movement. Um, I thought, well, okay, an adult can do that, right? I'll, I'll go reclaim or liberate my attention. I thought, well, kids can't, right? Little kids. So I thought, wait, what if the parents simply committed to liberating their child's uh, attention, but the way you do it is as a parent, you start healing yourself. You start working on you because children are mirrors. They, they are, right? They feel yeah, it energetically. Sure. So yeah. it's really up to the parents to start that movement in the household. Well, also there is what children are fed to pay attention to here. Just look at the screen. Yeah. And what they're commanded to pay attention to. On all levels, so, right? Food, school, all screens, friends, Listen everything. Listen to me. Yeah. You know, pay attention yeah. to the, Why do they have to get the medication? Maybe they're not paying attention to the teacher. Right. Right. So I have this joyful feeling about, yeah, what if, what if they're allowed to a certain degree to give their attention to what they're inspired to give their attention to. <laughs> what if we just did that? I'm just saying, hypothetically, what if you just took a year off during, let's say, a pandemic and let the kids do whatever the fuck they want to do? I mean, I'm not a I'm not a parent. I can definitely imagine that there could be some challenges to run into. Yes, but... as they are in life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you as a parent that that's what we've been doing with our kids. I literally told my wife, it's a pandemic. Whether you believe that's real or not, I don't. I think there's parts of it that are real. But I said, you know what? During this time, let's put zero pressure on them to do something that they hate. And let's just guide them along and we'll watch a lot of movies and we'll travel, you know, here and there. We'll go places. We'll go in nature. They can play their video games. They can watch, you know, screens. Um, we'll limit it to a degree, right? Sometimes on the weekends they can watch till midnight and then they go to bed. That's fine. But usually it's like nine or after dinner, you know. Um, it's been amazing. It's been challenging at times. There's a lot of stuff that comes up, but that working through that has been amazing because it's given us the opportunity to be with them and feel like let them be emotional and it's almost like the more of those moments come up the more we get to let them emote and be there for them and the bonding that's been happening and the love is clearly gone up since January or mm -hmm. February a hundred percent so uh, maybe we're the only family no I don't think so but there's clearly a benefit to letting kids yeah tell us what they want to pay attention to. Yeah. And even if it's just for a year, I would say to parents, try it out. What is, what do you, nothing to lose. Take a year out. You're not going to mess up your kids. <laughs> I promise. Our kids Have are going to be just fine. lost a spot at Harvard. <laughs> right. Oh my God, now they're behind. Well, that might be something to look at in the first place. You know, why, what's your restlessness with academic performance? Where is that coming from? Where, where is it coming from? Actually, I mean, let's talk about that for a minute. Where is that coming from? Why do parents, why are they so fucking restless that they must get their kids into the best school? I know that's another podcast, but maybe we can tease it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know them. I mean, I can hypothesize. I would love I want to answer the other part of what you said about yeah. what we focus the attention on. 
So that's really fertile. And what comes up is two things. One is that, which is true of an addiction, if we withdraw, you know, for example, someone releasing an addiction, there's also an attention component that's released. Whatever it is, whatever they're addicted to, like that was getting their attention. So they take their attention back and there might be some feelings that they don't want to be aware of. Right. Or scared of being aware of. Yeah. Or looking within and being like, oh, geez, I shouldn't think that. I shouldn't feel that. That shouldn't be there. So there's a process in that. And the focus, I mean, there's so much, there's so much to focus on. Like there's traditional ways, like there, there is the, the breath focus, which is an awesome, wonderful thing to focus on. It's not the only thing. There's body awareness, but really there is anything, but that's a creative process. And then our consciousness is really vast. So like with myself, I can focus on the breath and then also be aware of other things and focus on other things as well. So, and that's where I think it can be something that we cultivate like a muscle like a habit, like something we learn. But the choosing of where our attention goes, like that's even just that is already crucial. Just just asking the question, just asking the question of what do you want to focus on? What do you want to put your attention on? What are you choosing to put your attention on? Like already that's leading somewhere. Right. What's interesting is when you said that, I was, what came to mind was a practice that I now subconscious, I don't know if subconsciously, but I'm, I'm aware of it now. And that is when I go into um, Facebook or Instagram and when I get lost, I literally go, wait, my focus is ADHD in this documentary, this podcast, The Movement. And I go back to, oh, that's why I came to this website and I got sidetracked. But if you don't have that, if you go, what do you want to focus on? Then you're like, well, right now I want to focus on this pair of pants or I just want to listen to this conspiracy theory, right? Or whatever you've been sort of... So I think, again, I feel like we're getting back to... um, People not having a purpose will make it harder for them to choose what to focus on because it could be anything that's exciting, right? And that's what I think the experts say, well, kids, we should teach them how to pay attention because then they're not getting distracted by all this stuff. Well, we sh- I think we should teach them why they want to pay attention to something, right? If my son wants to be a video game. He wants to uh, uh, play competitively and win money, right? That's his goal. And so we're, we're supporting him in that. So now when he goes and does research on, or he cuts a video together with, with Fortnite footage, he has a 
there's a purpose. He's like, I'm going to become a competitive player. But if it was just lollygagging around with from one video game to the other, to the, it's like, I would be like, let's do something else. Cause you're just bored. You're just like, you know? So I try to kind of hone in on that. Like, is there a purpose? And I don't mean it doesn't have to be spiritual purpose of saving the world, but something, anything to grab onto and say, Oh, that's why I'm doing research, but I got sidetracked. Let's go back. I feel there's that. Right. Yeah. And that's, that is one dimension of it, which is worthwhile has energy as significance. And then there can also be space for more broad awareness mm-hmm. where it's just looking like just exploring, just being aware in this more feminine way and like flowing with it and wherever your yeah your attention yeah. decides to go yeah 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 because they feed each other true yeah it's like i think of ground and a plant it's like there's this fertile ground it's just hopefully it's fertile we need to work on fertile ground and let's plant it right now but which you know, means we should watch kiss the ground <laughs> yes, coming out yes. on netflix watch kiss the ground our friends uh, josh and rebecca tickell's movie yep. yes please yeah, so this this ground, like this ground of being, this ground of awareness where there's unknown movement and just being aware of whatever. Like what comes to mind is if I was sitting with children in quote unquote class and like, okay, let's just be aware of whatever. I mean, kind of literally whatever, like whatever <laughs> there is to be yeah. aware of. Yeah. And then there can be a focus. Then it's like, okay, what do you want to focus on? And then experimenting and then being aware through that process. Right. Like, you know, what does it feel like if I only focus on mainstream negative news a whole lot of the time? I can tell you what it feels like. (laughs) Have you ever eaten a whole chocolate pie? No. And then you feel sick and there was like no nutritional value. That's kind of like that. (laughs) (laughs) There might be a whole good chunk of fear somewhere in there too. (laughs) There's some of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm aware. Um, Fear pie. No, but yeah. Fear pie. Some more. Y'all want some more fear pie? Wormy fear pie disguised as candy. (laughs) Exactly. It's candy kids. (laughs) What a great image. I love at Landmark, they used to call it a mud pie, icing on a mud pie. Because it looks good, it looks tasty, and then you bite in it, and you're like, what the fuck is this? You know, there's, um, so what I'm hearing is that there's a uh, um, a need for um, allowing children, in this case, or and adults, to wander, aware, awareness, consciousness wandering. Yeah. As well as if there's a purpose, maybe you don't have one yet, but once you do, as well as um, uh, reminding yourself why you went down the rabbit hole, enjoying the rabbit hole, but then coming back to resetting or whatever, right? That could be the more aware next step to get something done. And then is there a third one where um, someone wants you to learn something or hear something or know something, right? Like a politician or uh, a parent or someone. A doctor. A doctor. And then doing 
the research, not because it's your purpose or focus, but because you care enough about you and your mental or you're just your well-being that you actually are going to go educate yourself, but you're not forced to do it, but you're like, huh, I should check that out. Let me, let me do some research. Right. And I think that's what we're squandering right now with people They're like, no, that's wrong. Don't look at that. That's wrong. That's bullshit. That's conspiracy. Don't do that. I'm not going to go there. Right. So paying attention to the other side has become almost a, like a, what's the word? A caster, a caster can't think taboo yeah or, or ma it's a made wrong Cast right out yeah outcast outcast uh um uh, tony hawk has his foundation what is it called where they call it the misfits you don't fit in yeah into what what are we fitting into here right <laughs> so what's the last question it's something about you know when when we're being asked to pay attention yeah when someone says this third Which uh, it's category. not always an ask. Sometimes it's a command. Or demand, command. Or sometimes, you know, I mean, that's, there's this other thing where sometimes it's imposed on us and, you know, like it's, it's really smoky. Like I have felt distracted away from that through our conversation. Oh, really? But, I haven't noticed. Well, I, I've just, I haven't, my awareness has not been no. with the smoke oh, while it. we're talking. Got it, the opposite. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Nonetheless, there is this feeling of it being um, <laughs> like something in the environment, in our space, you know, like I experienced this with the machine noise, where it's like really hard to get away from that. Yes. It's in your face almost, right? I call it, uh, I call it the yoga pants syndrome. Um, weird example, but when we used to live in LA, when yoga pants are still big, but <laughs> they suddenly were everywhere. Everyone was wearing yoga pants. And at some point I said to my friend, like, what's next, pantyhose? Just like, are we just gonna see through? And I felt like a lot of, a lot of people and then on social media were ex exploiting that. It's like, look at me. You know, and it became this, I saw it on billboards. I saw it everywhere. And for someone easily distracted, that's a, Hey, look over here. Oh yeah. You know? And yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just pulls you away because it's. Right. Yeah. And that's where like the open awareness, it, maybe it's, maybe it's better done like out in nature or something like that. I mean, I'm just so aware of like. When yeah. that open awareness is like, okay, I'm going to plug in my open awareness to my phone, to this phone, to this internet, whatever. There, there are these forces harvesting our attention. Yeah. It's not a conspiracy, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It's a, it's a corporate fact. Listen to the people who worked there. <laughs> But, you know, and I will just, just to button up that yoga pan conversation, it really, what I realized, it's really on me. It's my own growth and my trauma that I'm dealing with that will pull me, sorry, will pull me away from what I'm doing. So I'm not putting the finger on advertising or them, but there is the other side that knows that that works. So they keep, um, it's kind of like the sex sells advertising mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. 
they keep using, and Facebook does the same thing, you keep using these dopamine kind of things, you know, things that release dopamine because you know people will come back. So we need to be able to reclaim our attention to say, no, I'm not going to need that dopamine fix, but it's on me. It's not on them. Yes, hopefully they will change, but we, the people, can actually start saying no. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. Reclaim your attention. Yeah. And then also this other side of it of what's true, like... Like, okay, they're saying certain things cannot be said, i.e. censorship. So that means someone looking for something, since there is censorship happening right now on the internet, then they're seeing certain messages over and over. So they go looking for something and their attention is being shown one message. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's something behind that. Like, it's not just this is reality. It's that has, that is what they've come to by censoring certain voices, censoring certain points of view and supporting others. And I said this before, there was a year ago, I made a Facebook post and I said, trust is the currency of the future. Because I had this intuition that, if you know who you can actually trust, especially in news, for example, what is called the truth, if there's such a thing, um, then you will trust. You'll be like, okay, that's vetted. I know that's, you know, this, this, this and this and this and this way. Okay, I can trust that information. I mean, that's gold because we're all getting so fucking confused. Everybody's like, I don't know. Is this true? Is this not true? I don't know. And what it's bringing us back to me is that the, what you were saying is the inside. I feel like... If our, I call it the internal guidance system, if we can trust our own internal guidance system and it's going to disappoint us here and there, it's going to fail and, you know, but you calibrate it and now you can trust yourself and say, I trust that man. I don't know anything about that guy, but I'm, I'm the resonance tells me, you know, that's where I think this is all heading hopefully because that's all we got. Yeah. I'm remembering a yoga teacher who has this shirt that says, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of the space also with attention, with awareness. Like, can we allow ourselves to not know? To admit that, you know what? I don't know. To not know. Like underneath, like underneath, there's a Rumi quote, like, out in the field beyond right and wrong, I'll meet you there. You know, like, yeah. like underneath, I know this, I know this, I know this. And yeah. Yeah. And also just, for example, um, I've been thinking about this because the more I roll out ADHD is over, the more questions I'm getting from people. And, you know, I will be the kind of guy when I don't know something, I'll say, I don't know that information. I don't have that research, but I know people who have it. So leave your information. I'll get it to you. Right. And I feel if politicians were that way, where they're like, I I don't know that information, but that's a good question. Let me find out who's the best person to give you that answer. Next question versus, well, uh, that's, uh, you know, make shit up because they all make shit up sometimes. Oh, no worries. The phone, the phone, somebody needs your attention question is with one look you will determine if that's worth your attention or not no it's it's a time signifier oh got it okay that's right we did go a little over we said 315 (laughs) but it's 340 perfect well that was a good example of right we make 
snap judgments of, is that worth my attention or not? And I think the others out there are fighting, the, the ones that are fighting for attention, they are trying to analyze what would make someone like you or me say, you know what, that is worth my attention. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, I want to express something as we close this about, let's just call it, I like it, you like it, attention liberation movement. I like it. <laughs> Which is that I feel really strongly about inviting everyone, and of course I'm not assuming that there aren't plenty of people who already have done this, but inviting everyone to reclaim their attention. Like right now, right now, as you're hearing this, to reclaim your attention and moving forward, be able to choose. Yeah. Like inviting yourself to be able to choose what you give your attention to. And that's, that's a wonderful journey to set forth on to say, I'm going to reclaim my attention and choose what I give it to. I love that. And I believe if parents do that, they will automatically get present to what's in disorder inside the family or the household, put that in order, and then their children won't have the symptoms that what we now label as ADHD, because they will feel the order, the love, they feel the attentions given to them, not to work, not to television, not to a divorce, you know, the attentions given to them. So naturally they are getting enough attention. So they don't need to, you know, be labeled as attention deficit. I don't think they, it's not that they can't pay attention. It's that they're not getting the right attention they need. Mm-hmm. Well, Devi, as always, it's been a wonderful uh, journey, conversational journey. I think we've covered a lot. Yeah. And I do like the, um, the attention liberation movement. Yeah. Reclaiming our attention. Yeah. And I do want to say that I'm available to help people if they want to reach out, if they want support in re-owning their attention. Well, great. We're going to leave your information in the show notes so people listening can reach out to Devi and perhaps schedule a session reclaiming their attention or uh, you're going to catalyze some consciousness, uh, you know, being present, (laughs) meditation, focus. It's all connected. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Until next time. Okay.